Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, and Eric Kramer is with us, and he is the host of Spotlight on Success. And Eric, you have all the time special guests, but today is really quite special. Tell us about it. Yeah, so uh, this gentleman is named Glenn Bowie. Really, music flows in his blood, and he's tightly knit with uh, Steppenwolf, the great band Steppenwolf. Think about Born to be Wild. You know, that's what an iconic song and, and Magic band. Magic Carpet Ride. Yeah, yeah, so many hits and such a cool band. And it goes beyond that. He's just so well-connected with various bands. So it'll just be fascinating to learn a little bit about his history, maybe get some uh, a crazy story or two out of him. And and then he's also uh, very much aligned with charitable causes involving animals, particularly dogs. And so that's just a passion of his. So we'll learn about that side of him, too. So, yeah, perfectly said. Magic Carper, right? Who knows where this interview is going to go? But I think it's going right. to go to a fun place. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I'm looking forward to hearing that. Yeah, I'm going to be talking to Mike Flynn, and he's the retired. Well, he say I asked Rick that because he's not retired, but he was the publisher and president of the Puget Sound Business Journal. He was in that position a quarter of a century. Mike Flynn is very close to Dan Evans, the former governor of Washington State from 1965 to 1977. He says he believes he was the greatest public official in the history of Washington State, and I believe him. So anyhow, there's a book out that Dan Evans wrote, and it's called Dan Evans Biography. Mike Flynn wanted to really take a slice of that book and talk about in a very amazing arena that took place in the 1960s where they were recruiting to uh, to hopefully have a black individual succeed Dan Evans as governor. And these Hmm. are Republicans who were doing this. So it's going to talk about the background on that and how that almost happened. And if it did occur, Art Fletcher was his name, would have been the first black governor, not only in Washington state's history, but since reconstruction. Fascinating uh, type of uh, background information I had no knowledge of. Also, I'm going to be talking to Jim Fuda, and uh, he's a retired King County sheriff, and he served in that capacity for over 35 years. I just wanted to catch up with Jim because uh, he's been talking about uh, what's happening downtown Seattle, the relationship between the police and the public. And he really seems to be kind of a mediator in the role of doing that between, again, the police guild and, and the citizens. So he's got some thoughts on uh, what's going on. And, um, you know, we really had a tough week in downtown Seattle the last couple mm-hmm. of weeks. And I know we're all hoping that we can open up and get back to public safety. And so I was really anxious to talk to Jim about that. So he'll give us some uh, insights on that. So before we get to that, or actually at the end of the show, you are taking the lead on Kixie's One Hit Wonder and uh, what's that about, Eric? Yeah, so my guest has basically come up with the one-hit wonder this week, and Glenn basically gave me the name of this band. You're going to know the name of the song, uh, so I'm not going to mention that right now. I'll tell you, it's a rhythm and blues song written and composed by American musician Richard Berry in 1955. Here's another hint. It's best known for the 1963 hit version by The Kingsmen and has been a standard in pop and rock. So you probably, eh, I'm thinking you might know the name of this, but what a fun song and the one-hit wonder. Well, we'll just have to wait and hear the whole show before we get to that, but that's worth waiting for. So let's get to the show today. I'm very anxious to hear your interview with Glenn Bowie coming up next. 
When a flock of geese knocked out two engines on U.S. Airways Flight 1549 right after takeoff from LaGuardia Airport, who would you want in the cockpit? Captain Sully or a pilot on their maiden flight? If Captain Sully was your choice, then experience is important to you. And that's what Voices of Experience with Paul Casey is all about. People with experience in their chosen fields. A variety of topics are explored, including local and national public affairs, self-employment, travel, lifestyles, health and fitness, history, and adventure. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey. Voices of Experience is simulcast on AM 880 KIXI and 1150 AM KKNW on Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Voices of Experience is also rebroadcast on Kixie Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. And welcome to this edition of Spotlight on Success on this uh, radio show, Voices of Experience. So glad you've joined us during this interview. I'm excited to have with me Glenn Bowie. He has long been affiliated with the mega group Steppenwolf, and in particular, long-term friends with Goldie McJohn, the original keyboardist there. Uh, We're going to talk about sort of the local music community and all the folks that he knows and things that they've done over the years, and talk a little bit about his music and just his his uh, desire to be friends to the dog community. He's definitely charitable in that way and uh, reaches out to try and make it a better life for those animals uh, in our area, in our community, which is very, very cool. And with that said, I just want to welcome Glenn to the show today. Glenn, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. How you doing, Eric? Good, good. Thanks for joining us. I know you're super busy these days. Oh, thanks for having me. You got it. You got it. So, um, for those who aren't familiar with you or Steppenwolf, which seem to me kind of hard here locally, I think everybody kind of knows. But but let's uh, let's get the word out about uh, who you are and sort of your background with music, and we'll just go from there. We'll let the uh, interview go as as the river goes. Yeah, well, uh, when I was uh, when it was fourth grade, I had the opportunity to pick an instrument for the music class at school. I wanted to play the guitar or the drums, but I only had a few other instruments, and basically there were wind uh, instruments and stuff like that, so I ended up with trumpet. But I always wanted to play the guitar, and finally I got my chance. I was good enough, thanks to my parents pushing me and giving mm-hmm. me private lessons, I got a scholarship. So I was able to go to college and, you know, all that good stuff. And I think I had an advantage. So I got pretty good on the guitar thanks to private lessons and just practicing all the time. Okay. I had some pretty good influences, I like to think. B.B. Uh, King, Albert King, uh, you know, Jimi Hendrix, Jimmy Page. And once I could play songs like from Led Zeppelin and Jimi Hendrix pretty much note for note, people started noticing it. I became sought after. Well, we got a group together called Pegasus, and we had a deal on the Epic label back in the late 70s. It didn't last too long, but then I ran into Goldie McCon, and he was in a version of Steppenwolf, but it wasn't the original. Mm -hmm. There were some licensing agreements that took place because John the singer and Jerry the drummer held the majority of the shares of the ownership of the band, and so they didn't want to do it anymore, so they licensed it out. So I believe Nick, St. Nicholas, the bass player, the original bass player, he took a version of it and went out and toured, and Goldie had one, and I played in that uh, for a couple of years. Then I uh, moved on to 
I did some various things out there. I was hired by certain groups, and I did a lot of studio work. And from there, uh, ran into Goldie, thanks to a monstrous, awesome guitar player named Roger Fisher. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody knows who Roger is from Hart. We were at a record release party for Alan White, and Roger goes, hey, Glenn, Goldie's over there. He wants to be in a band. You guys, you know, you guys have history. Go talk to him. And so... I went over and I said, hey, you remember me? And he looked at me like, holy <laughs> And uh, so, you know, we got together down in his basement and we formatted a plan. And the first gig that we were going to do was at the White River Amphitheater. It was called the Children's Ride. And so that would have been in front of 10,000 people. Well, we decided we'd call the band. I think it was like the Steppenwolf Experience or something. I mean, we didn't violate the trademark because we made it clear that we weren't Steppenwolf. Mm-hmm. But, of course, the powers to be, which would have been John K., he discovered it. He got upset, called the promoters, and kind of put a dent in the show for us. And that wasn't cool. But then I talked to John, and I got him to give us the license agreement. So for three years, we were touring around, calling it the Magic Carpet Ride Tour. There's a lot of controversy on the group. Uh, the main thing is, is that I don't think that groups understand the damage they do to their fans when they break up and they fight, uh, you know. So I kept Goldie in line. You know, we had fun. We played huge shows, arenas. We, we raised money. We did benefits. You name it, we did it. And uh, we established quite a following. And unfortunately, Goldie passed away here in 2017. It was really sad. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he was a good guy. He really was. He meant well with everything. I, I just think he got the bad end of a deal, you know, once upon a time. So that's kind of my history in music. Uh, I have a musical family, so I had a background to begin with. And so I'm keeping the band together, and we're still moving forward. Now, we did a brand new version of Born to be Wild. And it's the only other one that's ever been recorded with original member Steppenwolf involved. So we'll be uh, releasing that here probably, oh, I'm thinking in about two months. And it's got Goldie on keys, Jeff Nathan from Spike and Inhalers and Paul Rogers band on drums. Uh, It's got Jack Russell from Great White singing. I'm playing guitar. And we have Steve Unger from the band Metal Church on bass. And, uh, it's a pretty good, I like the sound of it. It's a new kind of a vibration coming out of the song. You know, it gives a, a Seattle sound to it, uh, kind of that kind of vibe. Uh, but we kept it original with the melody. So outside of that, you know, um, I'm just basically kind of waiting for the pandemic to completely, you know, end. And yeah. Get back out play. Certainly um, put a lot of uh, dent in, in, or puts a dent in doing a lot of uh, shows. Uh, it looks like it's finally oh, yeah. starting to open up now. Um, <laughs> yeah. do, do you have any shows planned? Not yet. Okay. But we want to wait a little longer because what we're worried about is that if we start booking up and then something happens, we'll have to cancel shows. Right. We don't right. want to do that. I got you. It's amazing to me when I talk to artists such as yourself how how much it's a, like a family out there you know so many other artists you work with them and, and they come and go kind of in in and out of the tapestry that is your life um can you speak to that a little bit about what it's like to 
you know, call these people your friends and, and, and to work with them on such a creative level, regardless of what, you know, if it's your band or their band, um, it must be really interesting. Well, it is what it takes is a lot of respect for each other. Never, ever develop an ego. Never think you're better than somebody else. Don't get jealous and just be grateful Mm -hmm. that you're doing what you're doing. And I can tell you this, it takes a lot of work. I would practice four hours a day when I was like 14 years old. And I think anybody else would tell you the same thing that accomplished a little higher level Mm -hmm. than the local circuit. Uh, It takes hard work. It's, I mean, I've worked, you know, day jobs and uh, music is the hardest thing I've ever experienced because it takes every inch of your concentration. Mm -hmm. It takes all your physical energy. I mean, it, it takes everything that you can, you know, pull out of the universe and channel through the guitar. And I think Roger said it once really good. He said, Glenn, when you play the guitar, you do it like you're making love to a woman. And I was like, yeah, I, I, you know, and so that's what we do. We were, you know, we're passionate about it, but it, it usually in the, uh, when there's bands that have had songs out on the radio, everybody has pretty good respect for each other and admiration. Right. So it, it's just, uh, it's like any other profession. You know, there's not very much, it's not like, Oh, it's not like warfare. I mean, like, uh, you know what I mean? It's, like, yeah. it's, it's more like everybody kind of uh, helps everybody and they support each other. You don't hear a lot of the, like, uh, let's just say, for instance, um, Great White. Uh, you don't hear them talking about Steppenwolf saying, oh, Steppenwolf sucks or, you know, vice versa. And so it's a pretty good feeling to be, you know, uh, at that level where you can get out right. and tour playing big arenas and stuff it uh, just makes you feel good and it, it's all for the people so you're out there performing you're not for yourself but you're performing to make people happy to make them feel good and when you get that connection with the audience and you're playing in front of like 10,000 20,000 people and you got 20,000 people out there and you're on the same channel as them it's a good feeling so I've heard yeah. that from a few artists to say that you just sort of get in that, pardon the pun, kind of the rhythm of the crowd, and suddenly it's you're all you're all in tune with what's happening at that moment. It's it's almost uh-huh. like you're all part of the experience all at once. Is is that correct? Yes. Yeah, and you know, like you know, I remember the first time that I knew we were going to play in front of a, a huge crowd. Like I think it was like twelve thousand people. Um, you know, Goldie was like, aren't you going to be nervous? You don't look nervous. Why aren't you nervous? You know, and I had played in front of crowds like at Winterland in California, uh, down in San Francisco. We were an opening band, but that was like maybe like 4,000 people. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. I just, I didn't. Some people do, but you just, you don't pay attention. You just connect. And I, I don't know how to describe that more than there's a force out there that you channel in and, uh, it just happens. And if it doesn't, well, then you're in trouble. <laughs> you know what I mean? I imagine it's one thing to have the adulation of fans, uh, which is great, but it might even take it to another level to have other artists really respecting you or, or seeking you out for your talent. Is that sort of the case? 
They do, yeah, and and it, it's all part of the the greater picture. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, when you get to a certain level and you get a reputation out there, yes, you do get contacts where, where you know they'll uh, see if they can use you for like a record, uh, to play a couple tracks here, to do something there, or you know, um, yeah, and actually, well, what I did was I'm the one that kind of established the band that we have now, and we call it, uh, well, we call it several things, but basically it's the Born in the Wild Tour. Mm-hmm. And um, and so essentially we have called it Steppenwolf Revisited. On the Born in the Wild Tour, we call it Revisit Steppenwolf, checking you know, on the Born in the Wild Tour. Um, and so we built a reputation with that. It, it was primarily Goldie and myself that endured the whole thing. We went through different members, you know, everybody does. But we kept it going, and so we've got a good reputation. Now, switching from music a little bit here, I know a big part of you and your family, what you you go out there and do, you mentioned a little bit that, you know, you do benefits and things like that, but you're really a strong friend to the dog community, and in a larger scope, you've been a strong influence in helping end animal cruelty in the community and wherever you find it. Um, this is important to you and your family, right? Yeah, I grew up in the uh, the dog world. My mother was a judge in the American Kennel Club, and actually, I recently found out that she was on the board of directors of the American Kennel Club way back in the fifties. Wow. I didn't know that, and so she was, you know, at all the dog shows all the time. And my father trained dogs, and he trained them for protection and that kind of stuff. And so I learned how to be responsible with dogs, you know, around, around them. And so I think I was very fortunate. Now, do you and your family have some animals too? Well, some pets? Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I've had every, well, I had two purebred wolves. They were 100% wolves. But where I live now, unfortunately, I can't legally have them. So they're in a very good place. And I go see them all the time. I have one pure black Arabian horse named Magic, who I adopted. Hmm. Um, and I've had American Staffordshire Terrier for years. There are some people that call them pit bulls, but they're really just, um, they're a bulldog. And um, I've had those for years. Uh, and, and basically, uh, I have a chihuahua right now and three black cats. They're all pure. And the, the, the cats I rescued. Now, let me guess, the, the cats kind of run the show, or is it the Chihuahua? Well, you know, that's kind of, the Chihuahua thinks it's a cat, <laughs> so it's kind of interesting. And then when I lived over in the peninsula of Mason County, I was able to legally have the wolves there. They developed a, like a, 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 a pecking order, so to speak. And so everybody, I never had problems. I think it was because of the way I am, because the animals... They, they they do act and behave like the people that own them. At the time, the wolves, I could bring the wolves in the house. Wow. Uh, you know, because I bought them. Oh, yeah, they were they were big. Um, and, you know, they were pure. They were timber wolves. And, uh, and so, and then, of course, the cats. And I never had one fight between any of them, ever. And I never have had to use any kind of physical force. It's just my voice, my tone, and, mm-hmm. you know. I, if you know how to learn to alpha a dog or whatever animal it is, 
um, and you 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 got the secret. Uh, and that's what it's all about, you know. So training the dog is more of training yourself and learning how to figure out the dog. Well, hey, Glenn, I can't believe it. It's uh, the interview's up. Uh, we've only got about twenty seconds left. How can people learn more about what you're doing to help out animals, but also some of your music, and maybe stay in tune with any future shows you might have coming up? Um, we have a website at magiccarpetrideinc.com. Magic Carpet Ride INC.com. INC.com. Or my personal Facebook page, and it's my name. And all somebody has to do is friend request me, and if they say that they heard the interview here on your show, then I'll accept them as a friend. And that's Glenn Bowie, B-U-I. Hey, Glenn, thanks so much for the interview today. Uh, have, a, have a great rest of your day, and uh, keep rocking, so to speak. <laughs> Thank you, Eric. There are two outs in the bottom of the ninth. Base is loaded. The Seattle Mariners trail the L.A. Dodgers by three runs in Game 7 of the World Series. Who would you rather see step up to the plate? Mitch Hanniger or a promising but yet untested player just called up from the minors? If Mitch Hanniger is your choice, that means experience is important to you. That's what Voices of Experience with Paul Casey is all about. People with experience in their chosen fields. Topics explored including public affairs, self-employment, travel, health and fitness, history, and adventure. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey. Voices of Experience is simulcast on AM 880 KIXI and 1150 AM KKNW on Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Voices of Experience is also rebroadcast on Kixie Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. Almost a quarter century, Mike Flynn was president and publisher of the Puget Sound Business Journal. It became one of the country's most respected local business newspapers, one year being named the best by the American City Business Journals. Prior to that, he spent 20 years with United Press International. Now, Mike Flynn could be said of retirement age, but he is far from retirement. Today, I will be talking with Mike Flynn about a recently completed autobiography by Dan Evans. There is a fascinating passage in the book who Mike says is one of the greatest stories never told. Let's pick up with my discussion with Mike Flynn. Dan Evans served as governor of Washington State from 1965 to 1977. He was three terms in that office until Jay Inslee accomplished that feat just most recently. He was also president of Evergreen State College and then became a U.S. Senator on the untimely death of Senator Henry M. Jackson in 1983. He was appointed by Governor Spellman at the time. He ran for a term and then uh, decided to step aside at that point. Now, Mike Flynn is on the phone with me right now, and he has said in his Flynn's Harp, he believes that Dan Evans is the most influential public servant in the history of Washington State. You can't get a compliment better than that. And uh, he has just come out with his autobiography, Dan Evans has, and it's called Dan Evans, an Autobiography. Today, we want to focus on a very unique relationship that took place in the 1960s between Dan Evans and a lot of other young Republicans and Art Fletcher, a black man who was also a Republican who moved to Pasco, Washington, 
to work at Hanford in the early 1960s. So, Mike, welcome to Voices of Experience. Thank you for bringing this to our attention. The floor is yours. Thank you, Paul. Uh, I think this will be fun because, you know, Dan Evans uh, had a lot of accomplishments. He created the first equivalent of Bioprotection Environmental Protection Agency. He did a lot of things that today's many of today's Republicans would consider liberal. <laughs> he didn't consider them liberal. He thought they were normal. I was a political writer in Olympia from 66 to 70, which basically covered the end of his first term and the start of his second term. He was a very interesting guy, and it's only later. And the story is really, until you read the book, the reason I'm hopeful a lot of people will review the book who have ability to reach people is because the coolest story in there is one that really isn't known until you read the book. I've done several columns because I knew about it at the time. But a guy named Art Fletcher was a very cool guy. He was very imposing. He was the first black pro football player for the old Baltimore Colts. And then he came to work at Hanford. But as a Republican, uh, he had an interesting concept. He created a self-help center in the Tri-Cities, in the largely black community of East Hanford. And he became elected to the city council there. People were impressed with him. You couldn't, I knew him uh, back then, and you couldn't talk with him. And But I'll be impressed with his ability, his appearance as a big guy and whose brain dump piles of stuff on you. I was waiting for the autobiography to come out because I suggested to several people, reviewers, ought to be focused on the fact that the unseemly thing of four Republicans in the late 60s deciding to create a possibility to elect the first black governor since Reconstruction is pretty <laughs> incredible and amusing to even think back on. If you can imagine four Republicans doing that, no. But Art Fletcher was so impressive that they decided they were going to run him for lieutenant governor. And so the campaigns at which some people who became prominent uh, and elected officials uh, in the state after that were young people who were convinced they could help elect him. And so they put up yard signs and the pictures and on TV of these four young guys, they're all in their early 40s, one almost black and three of them white, striding together to create a leadership uh, in the state if they could get all of them elected. Well, Art, unfortunately, couldn't defeat a very popular Lieutenant Governor John Sherbrooke, who had been a football player, football coach at UW, uh, and he was a very popular Democrat. And that was in 1968, and correct? That's right, 68. That's right, thank you. Uh, and so, but the interesting thing, because Dan Evans was the keynoter at the Republican National Convention in 68, their names were already known and the campaign was already underway, in August when the Republican National Convention was held, but because Art was such an imposing guy and he had such an interesting philosophy of self-help, which the Republicans seized upon and said, let's help that happen, uh, he was a speaker at the Republican National Convention, and he drew a lot of attention and applause, and one of the people who listened in was Richard Nixon. And when Richard Nixon became president, well, Nixon appointed him the number two person in the U.S. Department of Labor. Now, the interesting thing, and I'll just do it as an aside, it, Nixon was an interesting guy who did a lot of things that Democrats were upset about because they said that's the kind of thing we do, like going to China, for example, and creating the EPA. But one of them was appointing Art Fletcher to the Labor Department in a role in which he was responsible for setting the rules and the oversight for the people 
the contractors in their hiring practices. And as a result of the things he ordered for those contractors, he became known as the father of affirmative action. So even though he lost the lieutenant governor job where Evans had hoped he would be waiting in line to be governor when Evans no longer ran, instead of that, he was creator of affirmative action, a much more imposing uh, role for the nation, and he needs to remember to that. Now, the goal I've had is uh, that when enough people knew about this, there would be some effort in this era in particular where diversity and working together in ways that help the racial relations would be that some national honor would be created for these two guys who did the unimaginable in trying to elect a black governor and then achieving dramatic results when he became assistant secretary of labor to create affirmative action. I've actually talked to some people. I haven't done enough yet, but I talked to Senator Maria Cantwell uh, on a Spokane trip a couple of weeks ago. And I told her it would be cool if she could become involved and I could envision the ideal would be a couple of Democrats and some envision having talked to Chris Gregoire yet. But if two Democrats, women, proposed that these honor be bestowed upon two Republicans, uh, you couldn't beat the opportunity to reach across the aisle or something like this. And so uh, I'm trying to work on that. But Maria's response was, tell me what you need. That's a, a per, pretty remarkable story, and I really thank you for bringing that to my attention. I knew Art Fletcher by name, and I knew he was a black man, and, and he was running for office, but was very rare in that time. But that's about all I knew. I had no idea. By the way, I'm very good friends with Sam Reed, and um, I had no idea how much involvement he had in that. I know he was action for Washington and the young Republicans in the 1960s, but did not know about Sam and what he was involved in all of this. And I heard something about this in pieces, but this was something that was real, that from what, reading what you have t talked about this in your column, is that this was a real sincere effort of joining you know, this together when it was not even thought of as a possibility. And then you point out it would have been the first black governor elected if it happened since Reconstruction. Remarkable. And the fact they didn't make a big deal out of it because the point was it needed to be kind of a secret plot. Uh, you couldn't be broadcasting this. And so they weren't doing it for any credit. They weren't doing it for any reason other than the fact they viewed it as the right thing to do. Uh, and that's the key thing Evans deserves credit for in all of his activities was he did things he thought were the right things to do. And he needs to be remembered for that. I have to tell you one interesting story that I'm not sure uh, even Evans knew about, <laughs> but he had a very savvy Republican chair, state chairman and who was in on the plot. And uh, the guy in his name was Gummy Johnson. And Gummy was an incredibly smart guy and a caring guy. And he, he told me afterwards, I said, how the hell did it get to be that, uh, that you, Bill Muncy, the famous hydroplane driver, ran against uh, Art Fletcher for the lieutenant governor's race. And he said, well, I knew that Art had to have a, uh, some image as, a, as a, being a winner before he goes in the general election. So he said, I called Art, I mean, I called Bill and said, we'd like you to run for lieutenant governor. 
and Bill Muncy, the famous hydroplane driver, that's all he was famous for, said, oh, what's the lieutenant governor do? And Gummy said, not a lot. You get to stand up in front of the legislature. People recognize you. You get paid for not doing a lot. And we'll pay your filing fee. And so our, so Bill said, okay. And uh, <laughs> Why not? Uh, that's great. <laughs> I'm not, as I say, the reason I think I'm not sure Evans knew about it at the time was because that's the kind of uh, secret thing that wouldn't be his style, but it was a gummy style. All he cared about was creating winners. However, <laughs> he did it. Uh, and so he beat Bill Muncie. So lo and behold, he went on the ballot as a giant killer. Uh, but he still couldn't knock off uh, John Sherbert. Yeah, he was a you know he was in office forever. And um, so anyhow, fascinating story. Did, did I read that correctly though? That uh, getting um, Dan Evans, it, it seemed like even from what I knew, his autobiography took a long time to put together. Maybe he had writer's block because I remember talking about it twenty years ago. But you kind of helped him get him through the finish line with a with a meeting you had or something or. A guy named John Hughes, who actually was the editor, although Ralph Monroe, former Secretary of State, also told me after the autobiography came out, he said, we were in a meeting once, and I stuck my finger in Dan's chest and said, if you don't get this damn thing done, we're all going to be dead before we read it. <laughs> People bugged him a lot. And uh, and so John Hughes, who worked for Kim Wyman in the Secretary of State's office, uh, asked Kim if they could pay to create the copies if he got it done. And so John called Dan and said, we need to finish this. And so Dan would send him chapters and uh, he would write chapters and send them to Dan and Dan would mark them up and send them back. And so because John was on his back, okay, the next chapter is due. Um, Dan had other things to do. Uh, and apparently from the time he left the Senate, there was not much added to it, and they needed to have an update. So anyway, yeah, a lot of people started bugging about it. I hope you're uh, successful in getting that uh, reward, or not reward, but award, um, and, and call out the recognition of this special time. Because, yes, it was uh, way before anybody would have considered such a match. So uh, anyhow. And, and Art, Fletcher, Art Fletcher deserves to be remembered also. That's why it's a two-person award, because the fact Dan fails in the effort to get him lieutenant governor opened the door for him to be much more valuable to the nation as the creator of the father of affirmative action. My thanks to Mike Flynn. Mike writes a column called Flynn's Harp, and you can access that by visiting his website at emikeflynn.com. One more time, emikeflynn, F-L-Y-N-N, Just by the way, to let you know, Mike has been such a supporter of this radio show, he has sent me a number of fascinating guests, including Dan Evans. There are two minutes to go in the big game. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are down by a touchdown. With the game on the line, who would you rather see to come in to play quarterback? A rookie quarterback who'd never played in a big game? Or a six-time winner of the big game? 
If a six-time winner was your choice, then experience is important to you. And that's what Voices of Experience with Paul Casey is all about. People with experience in their chosen fields. A variety of topics are explored, including local and national public affairs, self-employment, travel, lifestyles, health and fitness, history, and adventure. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey. Voices of Experience is simulcast on AM 880 KIXI and 1150 AM KKNW on Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Voices of Experience is also rebroadcast on Kixie Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. You may be familiar with the name Jim Fuda. Over the last couple of years, he has been a go-to guy for the local media in seeking to make sense about the unrest and homelessness crisis that has been plaguing downtown Seattle. I've spoke with Jim a couple of times before, like I have with David Horsey, a cartoonist and journalist, last week in talking about these same issues. Granted, it's early, but we have a new mayor, Bruce Harrell, but I did want to get an early read on what Jim felt about how he is tackling the crime and homelessness situation. Jim is a retired sergeant with the King County Sheriff's Office and is the current executive director of Crime Stoppers of Puget Sound. I just wanted to talk to you about the current state of Seattle. We really heard about some really tragic killings in downtown Seattle recently. You've been kind of the go-to guy in terms of the media because of your long years in law enforcement. So I guess my opening question to you now, do you think things are getting better, or are you optimistic about that they will? I'm extremely optimistic. I think that this past administration, mayor's office has changed. We have a, uh, a mayor in there now that has been uh, a member of the, of the city council. He knows what it's like. He's watched it uh, go into the toilet these last few years. I think with this last election, it's actually sent a message to the um, current city council we're not putting up with this anymore. You guys made a mistake. You wanted to defund the police. And you even heard Biden is that we're not defunding. We're going to fund uh, the police, realizing that mistakes has been made uh, because everybody's public safety has been put at risk. How about the uh, Seattle police? You were in uh, King County office uh, of law enforcement, but you certainly speak for the Seattle police a lot. Do you think um, their morale is getting better? No, not yet. Uh, But I think they're cautiously optimistic, like a lot of us are. They're talking about incentives, you know, monetary incentives to keep officers to stay and for hiring new ones. However, the trust and support and backing of, of our politicians is another reason why people left. They didn't feel appreciated. They were worried that, uh, they were going to get hammered if, if they made a mistake or, or was even perceived it was a mistake. Little Saigon, a couple of weeks ago, the police went in and dispersed the situation there, the drug dealers and you know the violent people. And it appears that the restaurant owners and people doing business there are so grateful for that. Just took way too long to do that. But my question is, they instead of I don't know uh, rounding them up and taking them somewhere I don't know where that would be and I'm not saying I'm advocate that but I'm saying all they kind of did is dispersed it for now and they're either going to come back or they're going to go to other neighborhoods. What do you think about that? 
I absolutely think that's the case. It's going to happen. They're going to disperse it, and and, uh, and they're going to go to other areas. However, you know, we've got Ann Davidson now as the as the uh, uh, as the new city attorney. And when you think about uh, about this, and what even the council is thinking about doing is every time an arrest is made, they want more documentation, which in my eyes means let's clog the system and make it difficult for her. Uh, to uh, to do her job, which is another elected uh, position. But I think, and I've always said this, accountability on on the part of these people committing these crimes is key. If there is no accountability, what incentive do they have to do the right thing? There, it, it's it's just simply not there. Whether it be uh, you can call it a mental health crisis, you can call it a drug addict problem or whatever you want to call it, there needs to be some accountability because we are not doing a service to these people, sending them to Western State for two weeks to get back on their meds or whatever it might be. And the criminal element, if, if hold them somehow uh, accountable, whether it's, if you don't want to go into this, then you're going to go to jail. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like so obvious what you just propose should be done and i'm getting fatigued and i think a lot of other people are getting fatigued just by going these are the directions that you should go it's not that it's a simple solution but we're still having the same argument over and over again and i'm hoping that we do make some great strides to make downtown seattle and other parts of the city livable again i want to switch to another subject because this kind of um the experience that you just reported to me kind of says what it's like to be a policeman and I'll, I'll say that you know I'll save that for a moment but the bottom line is that you got a connection with somebody who wanted to see you and the reason he wanted to see you you didn't really know and you weren't sure you're going to ignore it because are you the Jim Fuda who was a King County Sheriff formerly and then you get those calls so you have to make a judgment call whether you want to contact that person or not but you did and this individual I understand was 17 16 years old he was in a serious car accident in Burien, and uh, you were on the scene and basically helped him. He went to Harborview and all that. Okay, so that kind of is the background, fill in some holes, if you will. But I wanted to know, he wanted to go to coffee with you and thank you. And that was just yesterday. How did that go? I didn't remember the incident when he first was texting with me uh, through Facebook instant messaging until he sent a couple of photos. And then I remember the incident very well on, in, uh, in Burien on Ambom. He was, he was speeding and a car pulls out of a stop sign and, and basically T-bones him, bones him where we had to, had to actually extricate him out of the car. And he had some severe head injuries. And basically uh, on his way to the hospital, uh, he used the term he had apparently died. He, the uh, medic one uh, brought him back, and he went through an extensive rehab. Actually, he was 16 at the time, so through Children's Hospital, his parents got there, and they were very pleased with the service that they uh, that they got there. But it's funny how some people remember that, you know, you're uh, like a cop shop doing his, his job, doing the best he knows how to do, and that and what the impact that has on some people. I, I had another one happen to me a, a few years back where a guy um, came to me, and said, you bought Kool-Aid for me at my Kool-Aid stand when I was seven. And I, I drove, was driving a neighborhood. I, I was, that was probably 45 years ago. And, 
And he says, and he, I stopped by, drank his warm Kool-Aid, gave him a quarter, and and uh, um, talked with him for a little bit. But it's funny how how people you know remember these things that that we just kind of pass off as a uh, as a day's work and trying to do the right thing. Well, yeah, and the thing that really struck me <clears throat> is that when I talked to you about it initially, you couldn't remember this incident, and that brought up to me what police have to go through every day. <clears throat> With all these things that are piled on, that's something that was ancient history to you. But I'm thinking of myself and how I deal with, let's say, problems or challenges that come up. And I run out of gas when I was 17. I still remember it. You know, that, that's a trauma that I yeah. kind of um, absorbed at the times. And there's others like that. But what's amazing to me and why I wanted to talk to you about that and what jumped out at me is that, again, that was a pretty serious accident. But that's something because you've gone through so many of these that you couldn't remember it. And I thought that was the most striking part of our conversation. And I, as an individual, being living in the city of Seattle, have to be woken up sometimes and realize that you are putting your life in jeopardy and the police out there are doing that when they can't remember something as dramatic as that incident when it happened, I know it was a while ago, but still, that's my point. That's what I was uh, trying to get to on that. So um, before we go, uh, Crime Stoppers, you are uh, the president of that right now. And tell us a little bit about what Crime Stoppers does. Crime Stoppers actually is a conduit between the police, the media, and the public. We offer um, uh, an anonymous tip app that uh, where citizens can report crime anonymous, anonymously without fear of retribution. And if that tip that they submit leads to an arrest and a charge, they receive a monetary incentive, a reward, so to speak. And in today's times, we are realizing, uh, uh, and the police departments are realizing with the, with the cutbacks that they've had of how important it is uh, to have these come in and imagine even some of the money save savings let's say there's a homicide in downtown seattle on a friday night and you're calling out detectives if one person knows who the suspect is uh submits that tip we immediately give it to the investigating agency and uh, most times down to the investigating detective and that case is solved in uh, an hour rather than uh, 48 hours of a uh, of a full-on investigation with however many people are out there on overtime through the weekend. And so you can see even the cost savings that is for the citizens uh, uh, as well uh, of uh, when you're talking about funding a police department. My thanks to Jim Fuda for being on Voices of Experience today. Now, if you would like to call the 1-800-CRIME-STOPPERS hotline, the number is 1-800-222-TIPS, T-I-P-S. 1-800-222-TIPS. And also, you can go to your app store, and under Crime Stoppers, you input Crime Stoppers in the search, and then you'll come to P3TIPS. Letter P3TIPS. That's all the time we have for this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, and uh, certainly like to uh, thank Eric Crema 
for joining us today and the great guests that you had, Eric, uh, really enjoyed Glenn Bowie. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, Glenn was a great guy to talk with and uh, always exciting. And you had two great interviews as well. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Mark Flynn and, of course, uh, Jim Fuda, really the soul of this city in so many ways in different capacities, but it was so good of them to come on and, and spend time with us today. So, Eric, let's get on to the next show. Yeah, so I have Jared Drozdowski, who is with Birthday Dreams. This is a great local charity that basically matches children in need with um, people who want to donate and give them sort of the birthday of their dreams. And uh, when you think back at your own childhood, I bet a lot of us can think back and think, wow, that was a great birthday I had. Well, that's what they're trying to do for local children who truly need it, is to just give them that birthday they can look back on and say, wow, what a wonderful memory. How about you? Well, do you remember Santa Fair? Remember that? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I had a great birthday there when I first moved <laughs> to Seattle. So I agree with you. You can do that. But I'm going to investigate whatever happened to that. I know it's been long gone. Anyhow, I have two guests next week. And one is Sherry Trushheim. And she's a veterinarian with Urban Animal. We're going to be talking about pet care. Dogs, cats. I think a lot of our audience have pets. You know, one thing that I was thinking, Eric, is that we talk about climate change and I wonder if climate change and how that affects your pets, you know, if there's hmm. things you need to be aware of, maybe fleas spray and things like that, doing a little bit earlier or something. And the other thing is that she's going to talk about her concern of major corporations taking over vet clinics. I'm really anxious to get her oh, um, okay. view on that. And then um, the moisture festival, what I consider to be the greatest event you may never heard of. It's coming up again. It's been on Zoom for two years, but now they're going to open up to the public at Hales Palladium. It would take me too long to explain what the Moisture Festival is, but you'll find out next week when I talk to a representative, I don't know who that is, from the Moisture Festival. Any comments about what you heard today? Call the Voices of Experience hotline at 425-653-1166. That's 425-653-1166. My name is Paul Casey. I want to thank Eric Crema, host of Spotlight on Success, executive producers, Steve Mills and Benny Mathers. Quote of the week. This is an interesting one, very timely. The center cannot hold. The best lack conviction, while the worst are full of passion and intensity. William Butler Yates. Anybody have an idea of what he meant by that? It's kind of a brain thinker there. You have to really think about that one. I'm going to say it one more time. And if you have a view on what that means, call the Voices of Experience hotline. One more time. The center cannot hold. The best lack conviction, while the worst are full of passion and intensity. William Butler Yates, 425-653-1166. You just received some startling news. You're going to need brain surgery. But the doctor also says your prospects for total recovery are excellent. The doctor is very confident with his prognosis. He's performed hundreds of similar surgeries during his career. Who would you choose, this doctor or another doctor who's never performed this type of surgery? If the doctor who's performed similar surgeries is your choice, then experience is important to you. That's what Voices of Experience with Paul Casey is all about. People with experience in their chosen fields. Topics explored including public affairs, self-employment, travel, health and fitness, history, and adventure. 
Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey. Voices of Experience is simulcast on AM 880 KIXI and 1150 AM KKNW on Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Voices of Experience is also rebroadcast on Kixie Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. At Big Brothers Big Sisters Puget Sound, one youth, one mentor, plus one moment can unlock limitless potential. When you sign up to become a mentor with Big Brothers Big Sisters, you are matched one-on-one with a child in your community. A child with big potential. Hundreds of local youth are waiting. Be there for one of them. Big Brothers Big Sisters Puget Sound. Sign up today at MentorSeattle.org. That's MentorSeattle.org. Well, Paul, it's time for that uh, portion of the show where we talk about the self-employment quiz and we break it down into sections so that we can help those people who are aspiring business owners learn a little bit more. Is it right for them? So what's on tap today, Paul? Well, I have 20 questions on the self-employment quiz. One of those questions is about a personality trait, which I think is extremely important, and that's to have a very flexible personality. I asked the question, and there's a scale of like one to 10 on all the 20 questions. But on this one, let's say you're on the zero to one side, that you are a person that is really has to stick with every part of your day. And if something gets out of kilter, you become unglued or something <laughs> like that, or, or you have a difficult time dealing with that. 10 being someone who, hey, bring it on. I can do this and I can do anything that is brought my way. So you want to be towards that. No one's not, uh, no one's absolutely a one or a 10, right? but you want to be on that side. And actually when I was starting my business, I scored myself low on the flexibility scale. I'm better at that now, but that's something that I had to work on because I'm kind of a control freak. Mm -hmm. And so this is something, honestly, when you take the test, or the quiz, this is what you have to look out for. So anyhow, one of the flexible personalities that you have and to take a look at is that not only do you need to be flexible, your family, if you're married and you have kids, your wife or husband, wherever it may be, you got to tell them that they have to be flexible too, because you you may not be able to make that trip to Disneyland this year, or you may have to trade in that SUV for a used car, depending on how the business is going. Why this became important to me as I was running my business, I was around a lot of a lot of different entrepreneurs, and I was struck by how many individuals would end up in a separation or divorce. They were running their business very successfully, but they were working 12-hour days, seven days a week, and the spouse didn't like that, and rightfully so. That's why I think it's so important to communicate in the beginning about what this is going to bring to the whole family. That's so important to me because, again, as I looked at people going through trying to get their business going and the stress and strain that it really brought on to themselves. Being flexible, too, is just being able to know the priorities that you need to take care of. And so that's, again, such a critical part of this. Just real briefly, talk about flexibility. I didn't have a family at the time, wasn't married, but I uh, you know, lost a client They stipped me for a lot of money. I had to move out of my house in West Seattle, downtown in the 500 square foot condo I had just for my office. Hmm. So that's the sort of thing you may have to do. So 
that's the uh, one question I have for today. I wanted people to consider if they're wanting to go into business for themselves. Excellent information, Paul. And I guess we'll see everyone next week.